All right, welcome back to another edition of the On The Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Church, a.k.a. Will C., coming to you from Long Island, New York, on June 19th, Juneteenth, for those people that are celebrating out there. Uh, really, nothing going on. Uh, just looking at the sports world right now in this scene, it is not a pretty sight outside of the baseball world right now. And if you're a Yankee fan or a Met fan, it's there's really nothing going on and Stanley Cup's over the NBA Finals are over Vegas Golden Knights won the cup the Denver Nuggets won their first ever NBA Finals championship and that's something that's been really a long time coming football it's the dog days of summer right now at this point four football teams are either a mini camp or they're just really enjoying their summer so really nothing noteworthy going on in Jetland before their Hall of Fame game coming up and the Giants outside of the Saquon Barkley contract situation nothing really going on there but let's start off here with the Yankees and Mets first because and this is really the only thing that's going to be mattering on this show is baseball for the next couple of months I know that the NBA you got free agency coming around. I'll talk about the Islanders for a little bit and the other New York team, the Rangers, uh, in in that sense. But realistically speaking, the Yankees, let's start off here with them. Losers of their last four, losers of eight of their last 12, and at that point in time, Aaron Judge going down doesn't help things out. They've been really an unwatchable product. But when I'm looking at this Yankees team right now, they literally have nothing going on for them. Glaber Torres is arguably their best hitter. Say what you want about Garrett Cole. He's their star, but he only starts once every five days. Okay, outside of that, Domingo Herman is a hit or miss. Luis Severino is a hit or miss. This team right now is legitimately missing on a lot of things. And Aaron Judge is the storyline. You're all going to know that. But in years past, you've seen it. It's been the next man up mentality with this team, no doubt. And say what you will about them right now. They are really hard to watch. They are. And on top of that, it's not like the AL East is just some walkover. It's not. It never has been and it never will be. But where the Yankees are right now, they're very fortunate still to be in third place in this AL East. Looking at Baltimore, that's ahead of them right now with all the young talent that they have with Gunnar Henderson leading the way, with Audley Rutschman leading the way. And you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they're just a bunch of pesky baseball players. They are. They're a very pesky team. And they're one of the best teams in the American League right now for that reason. But when I look at the stats for the Yankees right now, I mean, I don't have to talk about the Red Sox series. What the Red Sox series this past weekend shows you is the fact that this team needs some sort of change in their mentality. And I understand that you got Aaron Judge hurt. I understand that there are a lot of things that are going on within the organization. As far as what's, what are they trying to do? Can they bring up Estevan Floreal to spark this team up? Are they going to bring up Peraza 
to spark this team. That's stuff that, realistically speaking, we don't know what's going to happen. It should happen. But Brian Cashman and company, they have to figure it out. And the analytics side of things, what are we doing here with this team? Okay. Trevino, he's regressed a little bit from his all-star form last year, right? To that certain extent. We're looking at Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo is in one of the worst, worst slumps that I've seen, even though he's still batting 262, right? And then, you know, we're looking at Anthony Volpe. He's floundering around 200. Is is he the guy that's going to be, you know, bringing the Yankees, quote-unquote, back to relevancy at the shortstop position? Remember, Isaiah kiner falefa last year was really booting a lot of balls, and many people were questioning what was going on there, and now you're seeing a lot of people questioning the, the, the makeup of what Anthony Volpe is, albeit it's his rookie year. So my takeaway on this whole situation is this. Brian Cashman should never have been the general manager of this team yet again. He's still here for a reason, unbeknownst to me, okay? Aaron Boone, as much of a nice guy as he is, and I love him as a human being, but as a baseball manager, he got inherited with a great situation five years ago with this Yankee team going to the American League Championship Series in 2017. And after that, it's really been the same thing, just about just a team that is great during the regular season, but in the playoffs, they cannot find it. They're either an all-or-nothing team. Right now, as it stands, they are an all-or-nothing team. And without Aaron Judge, they're a lot of nothing right now at this point in time. So, you know, they have to find their way to continue going about their business. I understand that baseball, you know, you're not going to win every series. And I also understand that you're not going to go out there and basically... You're not going to go out there and <laughs> hit home runs all the time, okay? The Yankees right now, they're third in that category, but in the other categories, they rank either near the bottom of their offensive statistical categories, right? I'm looking at it right now from this perspective, 12th in hits, 15th in doubles, and this is in the American League, so... 12th in the AL in hits, 15th, dead last. Everybody else has 100-plus doubles. Yankees have 95 right now at this point in time. Uh, third in the league in home runs. Fifth in triples, but it's really like a dime a dozen right now at this point. Uh, 13th in walks. 11th in batting average. 13th in on-base percentage. Slugging 7th. OPS 8th, really, this off, the, the offense is bad. The pitching, say what you will about the pitching, they are where they are right now. And as I'm looking at this right now, they're 14th in errors defensively. Okay, as I'm looking at the team pitching right now, here we go. 
They're fifth in wins, tenth in losses right now as far as their pitching goes. Giving up hits fourth, giving up runs five, earned runs fifth, giving up home runs seventh in the league, walks tenth, strikeouts ninth. The, to me, the pitching staff is not the problem here. This is all on the Yankee lineup trying to go out and gain and manufacture runs, and they can't do that. And without Aaron Judge here, it's tough to say that. They're going to go out there and they're going to have that 2019 mentality at the beginning of their calendar run in which they basically they did what they had, they had to do. But this is a tough product to watch without Aaron Judge, no doubt. And you look at some of the, the other things right now, runners in scoring position, not that good either. This team right now is a tough watch to go out and say what you will about the manager, the general manager right now. The coaching staff has to figure out something. They have to figure out something. Otherwise, it's going to be another wild card. It's going to be, even though they've been dominant over the past couple of years, just getting into the playoffs and then just sputtering. Guys got to pick it up. John Carl Stanton's got to pick it up. The aforementioned Rizzo has to pick it up without Aaron Judge. Anthony Volpe has to figure it out at that point in time. I, you know, I get it. He's a rookie. He's young. He, he can figure it out. But at that same point in time, something's got to be said. So, and I'm looking at the other the other things that are going on too uh, with, with this lineup too. You got guys batting that shouldn't even be batting right now. Josh Donaldson coming back shouldn't be playing third base. As great of a glove as he has, at the plate, he's either a strikeout or a home run. He's not getting you a base hit. He's not doing that. So there, there's that. Cabrera, I think he got optioned yesterday back down the AAA. Willie Calhoun coming back. You know, you got a lot of placeholders over here. DJ LeMayhew, another guy, not really uh, helping out his cause. He's, you know, he's regressed a lot uh, in, in these last couple, of, the last couple months. So this team right now just needs to figure it out. Just getting on base outside of getting either a single or a home run they really have to get on base and get extra base hits in that sense and try and get guys home via either trying to get them home via single, trying to, and even trying to work counts. You know, this team is a good first hit, first strike hitting team, meaning the first pitch that they see, they'll get on. If they keep on grinding out at bats, the numbers show that they're not a team in which they're going to create contact and get on base. And that's something that has been said all season long with them. So it, it's, it's a tough watch, no doubt. And I think that the next games that are coming up, their next five, you got to play up against the Mariners. They're fighting for a wild card spot too at this point. And you look at the Rangers coming in. So this is basically an AL West affair and seeing the surprise, really, of the American League, the Texas Rangers coming in to play here as well. 
at Yankee Stadium. So usually they've had their way against the AOS the past couple of years, but with these teams coming in, it's a tough, it's tough now. But we're gonna find out and we're gonna see what happens with the New York Yankees. And you look at Garrett Cole, he's starting on the mound uh on the 20th on Tuesday. And you got Louis, you got to face up against George Kirby, Luis Castillo, and then you got to face Brian Wu. So, not the prettiest of sights if you're a Yankee fan going into the Seattle series, albeit you've kind of owned Seattle and Texas. But right now, without Aaron Judge and with the way how this team is from a team batting perspective and not getting the extra bases, it's been a tough watch. So, that's all I got to say on that as far as the Yankees go. The Mets, on the other hand, man, you talk about just losing games and just finding ways to lose. I mean, I'm looking at them from, from the perspective of, you know, their bullpen right now. I know what I wrote down the other day. Jeff McNeil, people talking about Jeff McNeil. He's bad in the silent 272. Okay, Lindor. 213 right now at this point. Brett Bade, the young guys in, in here. Beatty, Alvarez, and you know, I'm looking at uh the other guy that was playing first base prior to I I don't know if they sent him down. Vientos. They really haven't been hitting since they've come up here. And they've really been like a spark plug. They've been all or nothing at this point in time. And the Mets, when I'm watching the Mets, as far as their stats go, after losing two out of three against the lowly, a surprisingly lowly St. Louis Cardinals team. Tenth in runs, twelfth in hits. 14th in doubles, and this is NL, like the Yankees, AL, Yankees, NL. This is NL rankings. Last in doubles. Fifth in home runs. 10th in walks. Okay. 13th in, in hit at bats. Hit slash at bats. Okay. 12th in on-base percentage, 10th in slugging right now. They're not helping themselves out at the plate. And they are like, they are like the Yankees in that sense, but they have their, their guys there at that point. Yeah, Pete Alonso isn't there, but they have other guys that they can rely on, but they're not coming through. Um, and then the pitching, you know, outside of, Kodai Senga being their best pitcher, no doubt. Everything else has been just a disaster at this point. Tyler McGill, not really good. Max Scherzer, you know, surprisingly not good. Justin Verlander coming in, not good. Those two guys alone, their age goes up, the stats go down. I mean, that's something that, something that should tell you something right there. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, Cookie Carrasco, from the uh, from the trade with Francisco Lindor, hasn't really done much of anything here either. 
and ERA is 6.34. The bullpen outside of David Robertson, not good at all. Adam Adovino, not good. Jeff Brigham, not good. Brooks Raleigh, not good. Drew Smith, he's on the he's on serving a 10-game suspension right now, but not good there either. All these other guys coming up, like they, they need to figure out something. They need to figure out something. And Steve Cohen throwing money at, at his problems, a la what George did back in the mid-2000s, what George Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman did in the mid-2000s, throwing money at problems and the same thing in the 2013-2014 season. Uh, just doesn't, it never helps you when you throw money at your problems. You have to, in a, ba in a baseball sense, you have to develop your young guys and you have to have the right coaching staff there. Buck, in my opinion, is the right guy, but the problem is they have to go out as a coaching staff and they have to play. They're playing their young guys in, in the infield. The problem is their bullpen, it, it's not good. It's not good at all, no doubt. And <clears throat> I'm looking at their stats too from a pitching perspective. As far as the rankings go in the uh, in the NL, 14th in home runs given up, 12th in earned runs, 9th as far as giving as far as total runs go, 7th in hits, 13th in innings pitched, 9th in saves, and this is without Edwin Diaz either. So Edwin Diaz is a big contributor to this as well, but not having him there, it it's been bad. And it's just the same thing over and over again. And the bullpen has been a problem. Same has been outside of Kodai Senga. Outside of the uh, rotation is concerned. But it's like, what do you do if you're the Mets? You know, you just lost two out of three to the, to the Cardinals. They they were right there in in those games against the Cardinals. But they just couldn't capitalize on it. And now, like I said, outside of the Mets series, outside of the, not the Mets series, the Astros series coming up, you're facing up against three wildcard teams coming up. And people are saying that the season's over. No doubt. I understand. I see the stats. They're not good. They are not good at all. And watching this team on, on TV... You're saying to yourself, all right, they're too talented. They, they put in too much of this effort the ownership has along with along with Billy Epler, and it's not good. But for the Mets right now, looking at it as I'm pulling up their schedule, outside of facing uh, Houston coming up here, here we go. So these are the teams that are ahead of the Mets right now in the in the NL wild card. Division's over. We're not even going to talk division right now. You gotta play, you gotta play Houston. But these next three games after the Houston series, they come back up against Philadelphia. Then they're home against Milwaukee for four games. Then they got San Francisco for another for a three-game set. Then they go to Arizona and San Diego, Southwest, 
United States, right? And then it's the all-star break after that. Say what you will, San Francisco has been on a tear as of late. They've been finding a way to go out there and compete. And that's just looking way ahead right now. But to see where the, the Mets are at that point in time, to, to write them off still, you still have to play up against these wild card teams. And if you could take two out of three, in, or three out of four in that situation against those wild card teams, you still have a chance. Now the stats, both batting and both pitching, tell, tell a completely different story that the Mets are where they are right now. They are a bottom team from a statistical standpoint. But in that sense, they're still in the thick of things for that wild card. Now, I'm always a believer in seeing this wild card, seeing a team coming from a wild card winning a World Series. That's what's been that's what it's been the past 20 years. Where in Major League Baseball, if you don't get the best record, and you're seeing a wild card team catch catch that catch that magic, and they believe in themselves, they're just as dangerous as the best team in the sport. So that's all I got to say on that, man. You know, I think that until you're mathematically eliminated, you still have a chance. As crazy as that sounds. So I think that the Mets still have a chance. That they still have a decent chance of making the postseason. But the gauntlet is coming up to the All-Star break. And like I said, if this team is still in, still in it, by the time the All-Star break rolls around, they're going to be buyers. No doubt, they're going to be buyers. But if they lose, we're going to find out a lot about Steve Cohen as an owner, and we're going to find out a lot about Billy Epler as a general manager trying to make moves. Buck, he is what he is. Buck's been in the game for a long time, and there's a reason as to why Outside of Baltimore, the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, he's a smart baseball mind. And when you're watching him on TV, when he was with the ESPN baseball crew, you can tell that this guy should have been managing right after that, right after some of his, some of his uh, falls, if you will. He's a smart baseball mind. He's somebody that should be a baseball lifer, per se. But... We're going to find out a lot about the mental makeup of, of the ownership and the general manager here at this point in time. So I don't think that the Mets are going to be selling off right now. It's still way too early to say that. And I'm a firm believer in the Mets, as crazy as that sounds. And then we look at the Yankees coming up. I know you got, like I said before, you got the Rangers, you got the Mariners coming in this week. And then right after that, they go out for a series against Oakland and St. Louis. And they play Baltimore at home for four, and they play the Cubs here for three, and then it's the All-Star break. So, again, I'm not going to write off anybody. I'm not even going to do that, but it, it is what it is there. All right, looking at it from a wild card perspective right now, just want to give a uh, 
a little roundup on, like I always do, Tampa, class of the league. Always, I've always said that. They are the class of the league until, other, until proven otherwise. Texas, the most surprising team in the American League right now. Minnesota, the AL Central, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's weak at that point. And then we look at the wild card situation. Baltimore, first wild card, five and a half up. LA, the LA Angels, man, they've been finding ways to go out there and win. People keep on talking about the Shohei Mike Trout situation there. Uh, they just find ways to win games right now at this point. Houston, meddling around. They didn't have Jose Altuve to start the year off. And they're right now they're fighting and clawing. And the same can be said with the Yankees right now. So they're tied for that final wild card spot. And outside looking in, you got Toronto, you got Boston, you got Seattle, and Cleveland is still in that mix for the AL Central. So I think the cutoff right there is Cleveland, and then that's it. The bottom dwellers, you got Detroit, Chicago, the White Sox, Kansas City, and then Oakland. And we'll get into Oakland in a minute. I just wanted to just, I just wanted to just go go about this right over here. Now the NL, you got Atlanta leading the league. They're the class of their own. Okay, Arizona, outside of Texas, big surprise down in Arizona. Milwaukee. Craig Council and company, they're finding a way to go out there and win games. They're going to be a pesky team, too, another, another team like that. Miami, another surprise, 41-31. and 31. San Francisco, 39-32 and 32 in the wild card. The Dodgers, they just lost the series to San Francisco, and San Francisco's been finding a way. Now, it's great to see that rivalry basically playing well. Right now, at that point in time, they're 39 and 33. San Francisco, huge series win against the LA Dodgers. And then you're looking at the Phillies right now. Cincinnati, Ellie De La Cruz has been a spark plug for them, no doubt. He's the storyline for them. San Diego, they're meddling right now after all the hype and hoopla that they got last year. And I was one of those guys that was on that bandwagon that wanted to see them make it to the World Series. Uh, that did not happen. Pittsburgh, they're falling back to earth at that point in time, albeit you're still in the wild card. The Cubs, still in the wild card hunt, and the Mets are where they are right now. Losers of two in a row. You lose against St. Louis. It is what it is there in Colorado and Washington. Round out your National League uh, standings right there. So not good right now, but... Let's talk about, and the final thing for baseball here is, I want to talk about the Oakland A's. Okay, Oakland right now has been just absolutely one of the most, if you're looking at it from a team perspective, they've been one of the most embarrassing stories this season. Many people were talking about them rivaling, rival matching, they'll say matching, matching the... 1962 Mets, you look at the 2000 Detroit Tigers as just this, the best of mediocrity in that sense. And the A's and their fans, they're, they're loyal. They're very passionate. You talk, I, I know there are a couple people that hate the, the noisemakers, Section 149 they are, 
at the Coliseum to me, seeing that, hearing that every game back when the A's were good is a sign that, hey, they're loyal at that point in time. And you want to create that home field advantage saying that, hey, playing in Oakland is tough, no doubt. And you have to go about your go about your business here. But the fans are the 10th man, if you will, in that sense. Like, people probably hate going to Yankee Stadium dealing with the bleacher creatures. Whether it's 203, people talk about 203 being the official bleacher creatures, the left field bleachers, it's all, I've been there for postseason games. I've gotten to experience it. Oh, man, itchy. Uh, it's just not, it's not a fun place to be for an opponent. It's not. And same thing with Oakland. Oakland has that, that roundabout, like Shea Stadium style old school two-dimensional ballpark that where the Raiders used the Raiders used to play there it, it fills up with noise and it's really a tough place to play now I've never been there I've been outside of it and from what I can tell you is that you know the fans are loyal Oakland should have their own team no doubt there's a lot of baseball history there in place but right now as it stands Seeing seeing what we're seeing right now, this is it. Las Vegas they approved their uh, their funding for their new stadium in in Vegas, right on the Strip, and it's not going to be a pretty sight when this team leaves. And right now they're in the process. Their owner doesn't care. It's all about a business. It's all about making a dollar at the end of the day and making making ends meet. And the owner doesn't care. He doesn't care about the fans in Oakland. He doesn't. Rob Manfred works for the owners, and seeing what he said the other day, it makes me kind of sick uh, it, it, from that perspective, you know, as a fan, looking at it. So, as I pull up the quote right now, Manfred... And I love the reverse boycott, by the way. It shows you that the fans, even though they don't show up, there's a reason why they don't show up. And the part of it is the ownership perspective here. They have to put out a good product. But every time that they get top quality guys, they get traded. And they try and go for a money ball perspective. And they wrote, you know, there's been money ball the movie, Moneyball the book, and many teams have been following what the Oakland A's have been trying to do uh, at that point in time. So it's just not not good. So here's the quote from Rob Manfred right now. I feel sorry for the fans in Oakland. I do not like this outcome. I understand why they feel the way they do. I think that the real question is... Sorry about that. I think the real question is, what is it that Oakland was prepared to do? There is no Oakland offer. They never got to the point where they had a plan to build a stadium at any site. So to me, I think Manfred is a liar here because the Oakland mayor, Shang Thao, said that the city does have a ballpark proposal. Quote, 
This was a very concrete proposal under discussion, and Oakland had gone above and beyond to clear hurdles, including securing funding for infrastructure, providing an environmental review, and working with infra infrastructure, providing an environmental review, and working with other agencies to finalize approvals. The reality is the A's ownership had insisted on a multi-billion dollar 55-acre project that included a ballpark, residential, commercial, and retail space, a la what, uh, what that terminal was. Uh, why am I drawing a blank on the name right now? So it's just really a back and forth affair with the A's right now at this point. And it's, the A's are just one step closer to moving to Oakland and they've had Howard Terminal it was, looking it up, Howard Terminal. But there have been, been some sort of ideas and plans there. I guess Oakland didn't want to do it, not Oakland, but the owners of the A's didn't want to commit to Oakland. So they just basically said, you know what, screw it. We're going to try and make a big bang for a buck here and seeing what Vegas is and seeing what the what the outcome can be. I mean, the positives going to Nevada are, from a player perspective, you're making a ton of money, no state tax over there, right? You look at what the Golden Knights did with their Stanley Cup run and what ownership wants to do and what ownership wants to bring to the city. They feel like they can bring a winner uh, to Vegas at that point in time. So it can happen. But the issue is right now with the A's and trying to figure out what the stadium is, and it's going to be a 30,000-seat baseball stadium, which is crazy within itself. But as we've seen the game you know, grow, we've seen content creators, we've seen the amount of TV money that has been funneled in here at that point in time come in, the quality of the product at the ballpark leads to show you that there's been empty seats at the ballpark. You know, ticket prices are going up. The game is going to be sped up a little bit faster now with the pitch clock, all that. And it's just not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But Oakland, they are not Oakland. The A's are committed to going to Vegas now, and it's uh, it, it's definitely a, a scary time for an A's fan. And as an Islanders fan, you know I can relate to them in that sense. But you know, but it, it is it is what it is in that regard. So the Oakland A's are on the verge of going to Las Vegas, and it is not a pretty sight in the process of doing it. I mean, they, they, they did the reverse boycott and they've done what they had to do, you know, trying to let their ownership know that, hey, we're going to do a reverse boycott. We're not going to show up to the games. We're going to hurt. We're going to hurt you. Well, in a way, it's like eh, you're not hurting us in that sense. We're moving. So it is what it is there. All right. Chiruchi with you here. On the On the Board Sports Podcast, final couple of thoughts here. First and foremost, the Vegas Golden Knights. 
winners of the 2022-2023 Stanley Cup, dominating the Florida Panthers in their series, four games to one. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau wins the Conn Smythe, and you know Aiden Hill being fantastic in relief for Laurent Prasant and Jonathan Quick not playing and Robin Leonard not playing really goes to show you like a lot that their team in, in net, they stepped up when they needed to. And they got great defense around them. Alec Martinez. You got, you know, Alex Petrangelo signing over there. They played well. Uh, Nick Waugh being another guy too that played well. They won it all. And shout out to William Carlson. Shout out to those Riley Smith, uh, Zach White, White Cloud. You know, they did it. They came together. Jack Eichel coming from Buffalo. You know, they figured it out and they found a way to go out there and, and win this. And even though it's six years in, their franchise, they're the quickest team to win a cup in this modern era. And it's just absolutely downright unbelievable what they did. So shout out to them and kudos to the Florida Panthers for making it this far. And not for nothing, but it just goes to show you how much of a crapshoot hockey is. Right outside of the locker room, it just goes to show you like when you're watching the game, we don't know what goes on during these practices, we don't know what's going on during the you know, during the during these intermissions and stuff. We just see what we see and how much work these guys put in is just absolutely unbelievable. Hearing the stories about Matthew Kachuk with his broken sternum, right. Racco Gudis having a, a major ankle injury that he should have been sidelined for at least a couple weeks playing through it. And you got Aaron Eckblad with the messed up shoulder and, you know, messed up arm and all that. It's just absolutely unbelievable. So kudos to them. Paul Maurice, I'd want to run through a wall. He's just absolutely honest and he's just raw. And that's something that you want to see out of a head coach. It's great. Uh, he made it to the Stanley Cup Final in 2002 with the Carolina Hurricanes. And he basically, he did what he had to do to lead them to that point where they were. And it's no easy feat either, right? And they had Sergei Bobrovsky come in in relief. Remember, he didn't start the playoffs. Uh, you're looking at Alex Lyon. He started it. They were down three games to one to the best team in, in the sport in Boston. They found a way to win game five in overtime in Boston. Got a couple of breaks along the way. Uh, you know, one up in Boston game seven. Then they beat Toronto in five. And then they wound up going into Carolina, played Carolina. Crazy tough two overtimes, back-to-back, -back, four overtimes in game one and game two was a kind of a quick OT in that sense. Swept them, but it could have all those games could have gone either way, right? And then you look at, you know, the story of getting into the playoffs. You know, they were winners of like seven out of their their last nine prior to that prior to the game where Pittsburgh lost to Chicago. And if it wasn't for Pittsburgh losing to Chicago who knows what it would have looked like at that point in time. Because remember, Pittsburgh, they had everything going for them. 
The Islanders lost to Washington. You know, Florida was finding a way, you know, to get back into this. And Pittsburgh, they had it. And they wound up just blowing it. And because of that, the Islanders, they made it to the playoffs. They won their game against Montreal. They got in. We know what happened there against the Carolina Hurricanes. The series could have gone either way, too, but it didn't. Um, and then you look at Florida, the same thing. You know, they were up three games to one. They were down three games to one against Boston, and they found a way they came back. So just absolutely crazy. The, uh, the story, too, of Matthew Kachuk growing into a top-five player, maybe even a top-three player now, uh, absolutely unbelievable what we saw there. And, yeah, just a great storyline from Florida, no doubt. And the offseason now uh, commences, and we're going to find out what happens there. I know I talked about the Islanders. I'm going to end them, but I want to talk about the Denver Nuggets here now because the Nuggets, look, man, they've been through so much over the course of their time, and they've had so many great players over the course of their time, whether or not – we go back to the ABA days with David Thompson, and you got, you know, Dan Issel. Then you look at the 80s, you got Alex English, you got Fat Lever, you got, you know, you got in the 90s, you got uh, Muhammad, oh, I don't even know the guy's name, but I, off the top of my head, but you got the Kimmy Mutombo as I go on, you got Antonio McDice that played over there, you got Mello, you got AI, Chauncey Billups, they played over there, Nene, Marcus Camby, that went through that Denver Nuggets organization. And, you know, say what you will about them, they made it uh, through there. George Carl being a coach for their team for the mid-2000s all the way up to the, uh, you know, all the way up to the mid-2010s. You know, they, they did what they had to do. Muhammad Abdul Ralph, by the way. That's who I was thinking of. And then, you know, you look at, like I said, Ty Lawson, Will Barton, Danilo Gallinari, Kenneth Fareed, Nene, can't forget about him, Kenny Morton, Andre Miller, Lafonso Ellis, you know, They were good. They were good, but those guys went through, and now you're getting to see uh, the new Denver Nuggets come in, play well, team-style game. Mike Malone's been there for a very long time, preaching his style and preaching the way how he wants his team to play, and playing that team-style game first. Um, Nikola Jokic has solidified himself as a top-three player in the game right now, no doubt. This was a coming-out party for him, and basically saying, hey, Excuse me. This is this is my team. I'm a team first guy. I'm gonna make my guys better around me, and I'm not gonna go out there and play a a me first style of game. That's not who I am. He yeah he came through with some big shots for them along the way, but he was good uh, in that sense. And then you look at Jamal Murray. He was absolutely downright phenomenal. And then you look at Michael Porter Jr. coming through for them. You look at Aaron Gordon with some of these buckets. And then the, the deaf players, 
that they've acquired DeAndre Jordan is Smith being another. So that is something that you want to see. Very, very happy about seeing the Nuggets beat the Miami Heat four games to one. And another thing that I want to say here too is Nicole Yoke. People talk about superstar. When I think of a superstar, I think of somebody that's a box office attraction. And when you think of a box office attraction, you think of Kobe Bryant, you think of Tracy McGrady growing up for me, right? Allen Iverson. You're not thinking of the team first player. You're thinking of the individual style of play. Somebody that's going to go out there and create and score. Shaquille O'Neal, Kevin Garnett. Tim Duncan was never a superstar. He was a team first guy. And when you're building a team, a team first, Tim Duncan was your number one overall pick any, any day of the week. In this day and age right now, Nikola Jokic is that team first player. And if I had a number one overall pick, I'd take him first. I'm not worried about the superstar stuff. I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to build a basketball team. All that other stuff can come, come afterward. And you see the, the press conferences that he has. He's with his family. He defers off every question regarding, oh, you know, my teammates did this. I, I'm very happy for them. Instead of taking in the individual accolades, he's very, very happy for his teammates. It's a breath of fresh air not having to hear, well, I'm the greatest. I'm this, this, and that, a la what LeBron basically said. Not afraid of saying that either. But at that same token, it's a breath of fresh air to hear a team first guy like Nikola Jokic doing what he had to do in these NBA playoffs and in the NBA finals, no doubt. So there is that. And I don't see Nikola Jokic making movies. I don't see him doing these basketball sneaker commercials or doing, you know, fast food commercials and just doing that. I think where he is right now as a player and where he is right now as just an overall human being not wanting to count, I don't want to count people's pockets, never do. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but it's a breath of fresh air to see a team first basketball player in a world where there's a lot of social media influencers out there that are trying to probably pick his ear. He's focused in on his craft and that's something that you want to see. So I am very, very happy to see that. He's one of the best big men that I've ever seen. That says a lot because I've seen Shaq, I've seen Yao Ming, you know, I've seen David Robinson, Tim Duncan to that extent too, if you want to count him as a, as a, a true center. So we're going to find out a lot about what the Nuggets are going to do. And look, we're going to find out a lot about what the Lakers are going to do this offseason too, but it's about the Nuggets. We'll save the NBA offseason for another time. But good for the Nuggets. I'm happy for them. Great for them. Great for their city. Great for their franchise. And they found a way to go out there and do it. So shout out to them. And finally, I'm going to end this show with the Islanders. Where to begin? It's been a couple weeks with Blue Emerald since that press conference. The offseason coming up. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered with this team right now. 
they need to figure out what they what they're going to do with their top six. They have guys that are signed here for a number of years, whether it's Anders Lee. You got Josh Bailey here for another year at five mil. Looks like he's going to be going going somewhere else after the comments that Lula Marilla made and the way how Josh Bailey handled his press conference. Um, you look at what the you know the situation is regarding the fourth line, how they're going to be at the hip for at least another year or so. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck, Sezikis, Martin, who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, Pajot, who's going to be on his on his wings. Parise, is he coming back? Are you going to see Simon Holmstrom get some sort of playing time here? Hudson Fashing having a great year as well. Last year, what's going to happen there? Uh, you know, Oliver Wallstrom coming back too from injury. Is he going to get dealt? Is he going to stay here? We don't know. We don't know the extent of what Lou Amarillo is going to do because he likes to stay in the law of silence, the law of Omerta in that regard. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this offseason shakes out. But one thing about the Islanders is, and hearing his press conference, Lou Amarillo is going to go after veterans. He is. And hearing him say that he's a believer in this core group of guys leads to tell me that you know, he's building around Bo Horvat, he's building around Matt Barzell, he's building around Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak in that sense. So those are the four guys that are staying. I can't picture those four guys getting traded. Uh, Ilya Sorokin trying to get some sort of contract. That's going to be something that's going to be said. Uh, down the road, he's played his ass off, no doubt. And what's going to happen here with with Scott Mayfield? Is he going to get a deal? We're going to find out uh, right now. But, again, everything's up in the air. And Lane Lambert's coming back next year. So it's going to be a very, very interesting time to be an Islanders fan, no doubt. Um, That's it, guys. I'm going to get going. It's Monday morning. Enjoy your day. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I will talk to you guys soon. And if you celebrate Juneteenth, just be safe out there, guys. All right? I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out. Stay safe out there, wherever you may be.